0: CHAPTER FIFTY OF BLEAK HOUSE BY CHARLES Dickens. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. CHAPTER FIFTY ESTHER'S NARRATIVE It happened that when I came home from Deal, I found a note from Caddy Jellyby, as we always continued to call her, informing me that her health, which had been for some time very delicate, was worse, and that she would be more glad than she could tell me if I would go to see her. It was a note of a few lines, written from the couch on which she lay, and enclosed to me in another from her husband, in which he seconded her entreaty with much solicitude. Caddy was now the mother, and I the godmother, of such a poor little baby, such a tiny, old-faced mite, with a countenance that seemed to be scarcely anything but cap-border, and a little lean, long-fingered hand, always clenched under its chin it would lie in this attitude all day with its bright specks of eyes open wondering as i used to imagine how it came to be so small and weak whenever it was moved it cried but at all other times it was so patient that the sole desire of its life appeared to be lie quiet and think it had a curious little dark veins in its face and curious little dark marks under its eyes like faint remembrances of poor caddy's inky days and altogether to those who were not used to it it was quite a piteous little sight but it was enough for caddy that she used to it the projects with which she beguiled her illness for little esther's education and little esther's marriage and even for her old age as the grandmother of little esther's little esther's were so prettily expressive for devotion to this pride of her life that i should be tempted to recall some of them but for the timely remembrance that i am getting on irregularly as it is to return to the letter caddy had a superstition about me which had been strengthening in her mind ever since that night long ago when she had lain asleep with her head in my lap she almost i think i must say quite believed that i did her good whenever i was near her now although this was such a fancy of the affectionate girls that i am almost ashamed to mention it still it might have all the force of a fact when she was really ill therefore i set off to caddy with my guardian's consent post haste and she and prince made so much of me that there was never anything like it the next day i went again to sit with her and the next day i went again it was a very easy journey for i only had to rise a little earlier in the morning and keep my accounts and tend to the housekeeping matters before leaving home but when i had made these three visits my guardian said to me on my return at night now little woman little woman this will never do constant dropping will wear away a stone and constant coaching will wear out a dame durden we will go to london for a while and take possession of our old lodgings not for me dear guardian said i for i never feel tired which was strictly true i was only too happy to be in such request for me then returned my guardian or for ada or for both of us it is somebody's birthday tomorrow i think Truly, I think it is, I said, kissing my darling, who would be twenty-one tomorrow. Well, observed my guardian half pleasantly, half seriously, that's a great occasion, and will give my fair cousin some necessary business to transact in assertion of her independence, and will make London a more convenient place for all of us. So to London we will go. That being settled, there is another thing. How have you left Caddy? Very unwell, guardian. I fear it will be some time before she regains her health and strength. What do you call some time now? asked my guardian thoughtfully. Some weeks, I'm afraid. Ah, he began to walk about the room with his hands in his pockets, showing that he had been thinking as much. Now, what do you say about her doctor? Is he a good doctor, my love? I felt obliged to confess that I knew nothing to the contrary, but the prince and I had agreed only that evening... That we would like his opinion to be confirmed by someone well you know returned my guardian quickly there's woodcourt i had not meant that and was rather taken by surprise for a moment all that i had in my mind in connection with mr woodcourt seemed to come back and confuse me you don't object to him little woman object to him guardian oh no and you don't think the patient would object to him so far from that I had no doubt of her being prepared to have a great reliance on him, and to like him very much. I said that he was no stranger to her personally, for she had seen him often in his kind attendance on Miss Flight. Very good, said my guardian. He's been here today, my dear, and I will see him about it tomorrow. I felt in this short conversation, although I did not know how, for she was quiet, and we interchanged and we interchanged no look, that my dear girl well remembered how merrily she had clasped me round the waist when no other hands than Caddy's had brought me the little parting token this caused me to feel that i ought to tell her and caddy too that i was going to be the mistress of bleak house and that if i avoided that disclosure any longer i might become less worthy in my own eyes of its master's love therefore when we went upstairs and had waited listening until the clock struck twelve in order that i only might be the first to wish my darling all good wishes on her birthday and take her to my heart. I set before her, just as I had set before myself, the goodness and honour of her cousin John, and the happy life that was in store for me. If ever my darling were fonder of me at one time than another in all our intercourse, she was surely fondest of me that night. And I was so rejoiced it, so comforted by the sense of having done right in casting this last idle reservation away, that I was ten times happier than I had been before. I had scarcely thought it a reservation a few hours ago but now that it was gone i felt as if i understood its nature better the next day we went to london we found our old lodging vacant and in half an hour were quietly established there as if we had never gone away mr woodcourt dined with us to celebrate my darling's birthday and we were as pleasant as we could be with the great blank amongst us that richard's absence naturally made on such an occasion after that day, I was for some weeks, eight or nine, as I remember, very much with Caddy, and thus it fell out that I saw less of Ada at this time than any other since we had first come together, except the time of my own illness. She often came to Caddy's, but our function there was to amuse and cheer her, and we did not talk in our usual confidential manner. Whenever I went home at night we were together, but Caddy's rest was broken by pain, and I often remained to nurse her with her husband and her poor little mite of a baby to love and their home to strive for what a good creature caddy was so self-denying so uncomplaining so anxious to get well on their account so afraid of giving trouble and so thoughtful of the unassisted labours of her husband and the comforts of old mr turveydrop i had never known the best of her until now and it seemed so curious that her pale face and helpless figure should be lying there day after day where dancing was the business of life where the kit and the apprentices began early every morning in the ballroom and where the untidy little boy waltzed by himself in the kitchen all afternoon At caddy's request i took the supreme direction of her apartment trimmed it up and pushed her couch and all into a lighter more airy and more cheerful corner that she had not yet occupied then every day when we were in our neatest array I used to lay my small, small namesake in her arms and sit down and chat or work or read to her. It was one of the first of these quiet times that I told Caddy about Bleak House. We had other visitors besides Ada. First of all, we had Prince, who in his hurried intervals of teaching used to come softly in and sit softly down with a face of loving anxiety for Caddy and the very little child. Whatever Caddy's condition really was, she never failed to declare to Prince that she was all but well, which, heaven forgive me, never failed to confirm. This would put Prince in such good spirits that he would sometimes take the kit from his pocket and play a chord or two to astonish the baby, which I never knew it to do in the least degree, for my tiny namesake never even noticed it at all. Then there was Mrs. Jellyby. She would come occasionally with her usual distraught manner and sit calmly looking miles beyond her grandchild as if her attention were absorbed by young Boriboolan on its native shores. As bright as ever, as serene and untidy, she would say, Well, caddy child, and how do you do today? And then would sit amiably smiling and taking no notice of the reply, or would sweetly glide off into a calculation of the number of letters she had lately received and answered, or of the coffee-bearing power of Boriboola Gah. This she would always do with serene contempt, for our limited sphere of action not to be disguised then there was old mr turveydrop who was from morning to night and from night to morning the subject of innumerable precautions if the baby cried it was nearly stifled lest the noise should make him uncomfortable if the fire wanted stirring in the night it was surreptitiously done lest his rest should be broken if caddy required any little comfort that the house contained she first carefully discussed whether he was likely to require it too. In return for this consideration, he would come into the room once a day, all but blessing it, showing a condescension, a patronage, and a grace of manner in dispensing the light of his high-shouldered presence, from which I might have supposed him, if I had not known better, to have been the benefactor of Caddy's life. My Caroline, he would say, making the nearest approach that he could to bending over her. Tell me that you are better to-day. Oh, much better, thank you. Oh, much better, thank you, Mr. Turveydrop. Caddy would reply. Delighted, enchanted. And oh, dear Miss Summerson, she is not quite prostrated by fatigue. Here he would crease up his eyelids and kiss his fingers to me, though I am happy to say he had ceased to be particular in his attentions since I had been so altered. Not at all, I would assure him. Charming we must take care of our dear caroline miss summerson we must spare nothing that will restore her we must nourish her my dear caroline he would turn to his daughter-in-law with infinite generosity and protection want for nothing my love frame a wish and gratify it my daughter everything this house contains everything my room contains is at your service my dear do not he would sometimes add in a burst of deportment even allow my simple requirements to be considered if they should at any time interfere with your own, my caroline, your necessities are greater than mine. He had established such a long prescriptive right to this deportment, his son's inheritance from his mother, that I several times knew both caddy and her husband to be melted to tears by these affectionate self-sacrifices. Nay, my dears, he would remonstrate, and when I saw caddy's thin arm about his fat neck as he said it, I would be melted too, though not by the same process nay nay i have promised never to leave ye be dutiful and affectionate towards me and i ask no other return now bless ye i am going to the park he would take the air there presently and get an appetite for his hotel dinner i hope i do old mr Turveydrop no wrong but i never saw any better traits in him than these i faithfully record except that he certainly conceived a liking for peepy and would take the child out walking with great pomp always on these occasions, sending me home before he went to dinner himself, and occasionally with a half-penny in his pocket. But even this disinterestedness was attended with no inconsiderable cost to my knowledge, for before Peepy was sufficiently decorated to walk hand in hand with a professor of deportment, he had to be newly dressed, at the expense of Caddy and her husband, from top to toe. The last of our visitors was Mr. Jellyby. Really, when he used to come in of an evening and ask Caddy in his meek voice how she was, and then sit down with his head against the wall and make no attempt to say anything more. I liked him very much. If he had found me bustling about doing any little thing, he sometimes half took his coat off, as with an intention of helping by a great exertion. But he never got any further. His sole occupation was to sit with his head against the wall, looking hard at the thoughtful baby. I could not quite divest my mind of a fancy that they understood one another. I have not counted Mr Woodcourt amongst our visitors, because he was now Caddy's regular attendant. She soon began to improve under his care, but he was so gentle, so skilful, so unwearying in the pains he took, that it was not to be wondered at, I am sure. I saw a great deal of Mr Woodcourt during this time, though not so much as might be supposed, for knowing Caddy to be safe in his hands. I often slipped home at about the hours when he was expected we frequently met notwithstanding and was quite reconciled to myself now but i still felt glad to think that he was sorry for me and he still was sorry for me i believed he helped mr badger in his professional engagements which were numerous and had as yet no settled projects for the future it was when caddy began to recover that i began to notice a change in my dear girl I cannot say how it first presented itself to me because i observed it in many slight particulars which were nothing in themselves and only became something when they were pieced together but i made it out by putting them together that ada was not so frankly cheerful with me as she used to be her tenderness for me was as loving and true as ever i did not for a moment doubt that but there was a quiet sorrow about her which she did not confide to me and in which I traced some hidden regret. Now, I could not understand this, and I was anxious for the happiness of my own pet, but it caused me some uneasiness and set me thinking often. At length, feeling sure that Ada suppressed this something from me, lest it should make me unhappy too, it came into my head that she was a little grieved for me by what I had told her about Bleak House. How I persuaded myself that this was likely, I don't know. I had no idea that there were any selfish reference in my doing so i was not grieved for myself i was quite contented and quite happy still that ada might be thinking for me though i had abandoned all such thoughts of what once was but was now all changed it seemed so easy to believe that i believed it what could i do to reassure my darling i considered then and show her that i had no such feelings well, I could only be as brisk and busy as possible, and that I had tried to be all along. However, as Caddy's illness had certainly interfered more or less with my home duties, though I had always been there in the morning to make my guardian's breakfast, and he had a hundred times laughed, and said there must be two little women, for his little woman was never missing, I resolved to be doubly diligent and gay. So I went about the house humming all the tunes I knew, I sat working and working in a desperate manner, and I talked and talked, morning, noon, and night, and still there was the same shade between me and my darling. So, Dame Trot, observed my guardian, shutting up his book one night when we were all three together, Sir Woodcourt has restored Caddy Jellyby to the full enjoyment of life again. Yes, I said, and to be repaid by such gratitude as hers is to be made rich, guardian. I wish it was, he returned, with all my heart. So did I too, for that matter. I said so. Aye, we would make him as rich as a Jew if we knew how. Would we not, little woman? I laughed as I worked, and replied that I was not sure about that, for it might spoil him, and he might not be so useful, and there might be many who could ill spare him, as Miss Flight and Caddy herself, and many others. True, said my guardian, I'd forgotten that, but we would agree to make him rich enough to live, I suppose, rich enough to work with tolerable peace of mind rich enough to have his own happy home, and his own household gods, and household goddess too, perhaps. That was quite another thing, I said. We must all agree in that. To be sure, said my guardian, all of us, I have a great regard for Woodcourt, a high esteem for him, and I have been sounding him delicately about his plans. It is difficult to offer aid to an independent man with that just kind of pride which he possesses, and yet I would be glad to do it if I might or if i knew how he seems half inclined for another voyage but that appears like casting such a man away it might open a new world to him said i so it might little woman my guardian assented i doubt if he expects much of the old world do you know i have fancied that he sometimes feels some particular disappointment or misfortune encountered in it you never heard of anything of that sort i shook my head "Hm," mm, said my guardian I'm mistaken, I dare say, and there was a little pause here, which I thought, for my dear girl's satisfaction, had better be filled up. I hummed an air as I worked, which was a favourite with my guardian. And do you think Mr. Woodcourt will make another voyage? I asked him, and I had hummed it quietly all through. I don't quite know what to think, my dear, but I should say it was likely at present, and that he will give a long trip to another country. I'm sure he will take the best wishes of all our hearts with him, wherever he goes, said I, and though they are not riches, he will never be the poorer for them, guardian, at least. Never, little woman, he replied. I was sitting in my usual place, which was now beside my guardian's chair. That had not been my usual place before the letter, but it was now. I looked up to Ada, who was sitting opposite, and I saw as she looked at me that her eyes were filled with tears, and that tears were falling down her face i felt that i had only to be placid and merry once for all to undeceive my dear and set her loving heart at rest i really was so and i had nothing to do but to be myself so i made my sweet girl lean upon my shoulder how little thinking what was heavy on her mind and i said she was not quite well and put my arm about her and took her upstairs when we were in our own room and when she might perhaps have told me what i was so unprepared to hear I gave her no encouragement to confide in me. I never thought she stood in need of it. Oh, my dear good Esther, said Ada, if only I could make up my mind to speak to you and my cousin John when you are together. Why, my love, I remonstrated. Ada, why should you not speak to us? Ada only dropped her head and pressed me closer to her heart. You surely don't forget my beauty, said I, smiling, what quiet, old-fashioned people we are, and how I have settled down to be the discreetest of dames you don't forget how happily and peacefully my life is all marked out for me and by whom i am certainly you don't forget by what a noble character ada that can never be no never esther why then my dear said i there can be nothing amiss and why should you not speak to us nothing amiss esther returned ada or when i think of all these years and of his fatherly care and kindness and of the old relations among us and of you what shall i do what shall i do I looked at my child in some wonder, but I thought it better not to answer otherwise than by cheering her. So I turned off into many little recollections of our life together, and prevented her from saying more. When she lay down to sleep, and not before, I returned to my guardian to say goodnight, and then I came back to Ada and sat near her for a little while. She was asleep, and I thought as I looked at her she was a little changed. I had thought so more than once lately i could not decide even looking at her while she was unconscious how she was changed something in the familiar beauty of her face looked different to me my guardian's old hopes of her and richard arose sorrowfully in my mind and i said to myself she has been anxious about him i wondered how that love would end when i had come home from caddy's while she was ill i had often found ada at work and she had always put her work away and I had never known what it was; some of it now lay in a drawer near her, which was not quite closed. I did not open the drawer, but I still rather wondered what the work could be, for it was evidently nothing for herself. and I noticed as I kissed my dear that she lay with one hand under a pillow, so that it was hidden. How much less amiable I must have been than they thought me. How much less amiable than I thought myself to be so preoccupied with my own cheerfulness and contentment as to think that it only rested with me to put my dear girl right and set her mind at peace but i lay down self-deceived in that belief and i awoke in it next day to find there was still the same shade between me and my darling end of chapter fifty